Today we answer the burning question, just how pog am I? I'm so pogadaciously poggers, my spare pog is over the pogaholic limit of maximum pogs per pogograms, and one sip of it will pogger you into pogalirium. and welcome to the new Albion Radio Hour. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and what a show we have for you today. I've been roaming your streets even more. I asked for flesh suits, but no one is sending them in. I have to go and collect them myself. Me and my companion here blip around town so we can check out different areas. We appeared over in District 3 and got a warm welcome from the prostitutes there. Yes, they recognized my friend here. Well, not recognized exactly. They said they had heard tales of him from the older, retired working women. Apparently, he was once a popular place used for prostitutes to take their clients. They were all delighted. Asked if he was still in the game. I didn't think he was, but he was so touched, he agreed to be their... their... room of ill repute for a bit. So I went wandering. Ended up by the river, where the young lovers were awkwardly trying to engage in their foolish mating rituals. Oh, humanity and your, your silly mating games. Now, in my day, I was a seductor awe extraordinaire. I doubt there have ever been any as smooth as I. Why, a mere glance expertly conveyed, was enough to hook any boy I thrust it upon. The epitome of culture and nuance I was, <laughs> suave with a tiger's silent ferocity. Ah, <laughs> uh, you kids today are all bumbling fools. The finer points of seduction techniques lost upon you. I should start a series where I give you tips, good lord. From what I viewed the other night, you could use them. Learn from a master. I was even propositioned. A lovely young lady. I tried to explain that even if I still had working parts, which I do not, she would be barking up the wrong tree in any case. As it turns out, she was merely the bait. Yes, her two ruffian friends were looking for easy money. I don't have money, and I have a cover to maintain. My flesh suit is not very convincing and good light, and without my hat. I keep my collar up, my hat on. This body is woefully short, and sadly, its mobility, while light years beyond the other models popular at the time I acquired it, is still pathetic. Hardly good for handling ruffians. That's why I installed pop-out blades along my forearms, and the top of my head, and my feet, and spikes in my chest, and my cane is a sword. My powers are not what they once were, but I can manipulate a second or two, push a small sequence of events, just a, just a tiny nudge here and there. All I need is for a cheekbone to be near my forearm. 
That is a face that will never look nice again. Ah, dominating and then dismembering and ruffians. <laughs> Are their delights in this world much finer? It was wonderful. Oh, it put me in the absolute best of moods. I really should do that more often. They should have taken better care of their flesh, though. I was not impressed by the shape they were in. Too many bad habits and indulgences. I let the girl go. I am a gentleman. Ha! Of course I'm not. No, you leave one to tell the tale. Let her spread a fascinating rumor. I would love to do this again. I went back to my friend. My, but he was the center of attention for those area prostitutes. Some sad man even came along with armfuls of coffee for all the girls. Didn't even want their services in return. Definitely not a pimp. He was a strange one. I could smell narrative favor on him. I mean, I can't obviously actually smell, but even as dreadfully handicapped as I am, I can still detect people who have odd little relationships with their narratives. Anyway, all in all, a splendid evening. So, let us continue with our tale. The Gnome War, Part 2. Weeks passed while the gang continued to accumulate both items and knowledge. David Adams locked in well with the group, although his narration abilities were hit and miss. Well, he's better than me, said Lloyd. He has this innate talent for it that's just it bursting with power, but he has such trouble letting it out, said Jill. You know, I'm literally right here, said David. We're just trying to help you open up, said Asha. They were also starting to realize that the scenes they were creating weren't illusions manifesting into reality, but actual places which simply fit their projection as closely as possible. They weren't creating items. They were visiting places and circumstances and then simply taking things back with them. Whatever it was, it was wonderful as they were starting to accumulate a lot of things that made their lives much more comfortable. David was the key to this, but he could lock up at a moment's notice. Over the next several weeks, they would learn to hone into specific people and follow them on their story. When the person got to a point in their story when they reached a location the gang wanted to be in, they could just hop in, assume characters that sensibly filled out the background, and hang out there until the character moved on. This is how they would stay in hotels, spas, weekend getaways, etc., although often when the person moved on, they would get booted from the narrative. It would take further education to be able to stay in a particular narrative as long as they wished, and then pop back to the playhouse without having to go back to the level 2 tunnels, a problem that still happened numerous times. But this mastery came a little later. At the moment, they were still in the early days of David's arrival, although even now, their sense of time was starting to loosen, even if they were still unaware. The effects of living in fifth-level space were unnoticeable at first, but creeping in slowly. Working on David's blocks was important for the entire group because of the power the narrator had in their practices. 
This wasn't help when one day they were talking about romantic relationships. And when Michael made a casual insinuation, David replied, Well, well, but I, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm straight. This caused Jill and Asha to both simultaneously, literally, spit out their tea. The acquisition of tea was a cause for great celebration, although Michael had a rather special knack for finding bottles of scotch laying around wherever they manifested. In any case, after spitting the tea, Jill and Asha looked at each other and rolled their eyes. So, said Jill, you mean to say you've never been with a man? Ever? Well, I mean, you know, everyone experiments in college, but it was, I, I, I was young, and it was, it was just, you know, it was college experimentation. I mean, you were young, said Asha. Yes. You're young now, she added. Hush, said Jill, and nudged her. Be gentle. We need to make this a compassionate process. Lloyd was grateful no one had seen that split second when his face had looked utterly aghast and was now putting on a great show of being utterly unfazed and at perfect casual peace, all the while trying to not look like he was putting on a performance of being overly unfazed. Michael was the only one who had this habit of acting perfectly unfazed perfected, and so, while Jill and Asha tended to minimize the amount they thought he actually paid attention, he watched Lloyd very carefully, as well as David. That evening, David was in his personal space, hitting his forehead with his hand, while softly calling himself an idiot and an asshole when Michael appeared. Hey, come on, let's have a little sip of scotch, Michael said. They fell into a long talk. David spoke at length about rules. Because without rules in a society, it falls into chaos, and, and chaos brings war and rape and, and everyone doing what they want only for themselves. If, if someone is perfectly selfish, refusing to follow rules, there's nothing to stop them from committing every sort of cruelty to fulfill their own selfish needs. Michael nodded. I don't think people need rules to be basically compassionate. Most people, I mean, there's always assholes, but then rules barely make them polite anyway. I've been to a bunch of narratives now, and all of them have rules, most of which are arbitrary or weird cultural anomalies. But you can't live according to every set of rules you run across. I think it's simpler to understand that you can pursue your own interests as long as you make sure they don't cause unnecessary suffering. Well, said David, I hate rules. I hate them. I wish I could just disregard them or even flaunt them. It's, I want to do that so badly, but I just, I can't, I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. Maybe Raven could. But I'm not really Raven. I mean, he's just a character. Well, he's your own creation. He's you. Maybe without the pathologies holding you back. He's just your projection of yourself as you wish you were. You're allowed to love who you want, the way you want, is all I'm saying. They talked for a while longer, although the only other notable topic was when Michael asked him how he crashed into the tower. Did you just not see it? Were you going too fast to stop? 
No, I was leaving it. What, how are you leaving it? Well, you guys had just put on a show here. We've talked about putting on a show, but we've never actually done it. No, you did. But I was in it. But I looked... Well, I, I looked more like that Raven character, but with cooler clothes. And, and then I invited myself onto stage, and then we sang this song. Man, my, my whole journey here after jumping off the cliff was so trippy, and I, I really thought I was hallucinating while dying or in some weird afterlife. And events seemed to wrap around themselves. It, it's like... Time is fluid here. Yeah, the metaverse is weird, said Michael. Based on this conversation, Michael reintroduced the idea of them doing real performances in the section they were currently building as a proper theater. Who would come, asked Asha. Well, David did, said Michael. There were people there, said David, and not people, too, it, it's hard to say. It was dark, but a, a good number of seats were filled. Are we going to write plays? asked Lloyd. I'm a good writer, and Jill has creativity in abundance. I'd be happy to help, said David. Lloyd gave him a short glance. Things between them were noticeably cooler ever since David's proclamation, although Lloyd was trying hard not to be weird about it. Lloyd was failing at this, but Jill and Asha saw how hard he was trying. Okay, I have an idea, said Jill. Let's not write a script. We have visions of people's lives and these stories, and we're trying to jump into them and steal stuff. Lack scotch, said Michael. You're going to end up with a drinking problem, said Jill. Asha looked at Jill like she was crazy. You? You, of all people. Hey, I taught the boy how to drink. I have to look out for him. I am definitely not going to end up with a drinking problem, said Michael. And besides, I am literally the happiest drunk you will ever meet. Jill continued. What if we channel one person, one story, all together, and show it on stage as a performance? That's just insane, said Asha. Insane? said Lloyd. We do live in an alien tower in a psychedelic dimension. I believe we have passed insane quite some time ago. Lloyd and David used to sit next to each other, but Lloyd had taken to sitting far from him, although he hated that he did that. David, on the other hand, was consumed with guilt and desperate to move next to Lloyd again, but feared intruding on his space and wishes. Often, after Lloyd talked, David would make a slight sound, as if he was going to speak, which he desperately wanted to, to say something that would agree with Lloyd and back him up, but was never able to think of something that didn't sound stupid, so he would make a sort of half sound and then shut his mouth in embarrassment. He usually felt everyone was staring at him when this happened, but usually it was only Michael. Jill and Asha always looked at each other knowingly and Lloyd would pretend he didn't pay undue attention to David. Michael rushed in to cover for David. Well, I'm all for working together to put on a real performance, but what do we do? Put up flyers in fifth-level metaspace? It really is a psychological jungle out there. 
Well, I think we should just steal a neon sign, open the doors, and put on a show. We do it every Friday, and if things come, they come, said Jill. When exactly is Friday? asked Lloyd. Pretty much whatever day we claim it is, said Michael. Asha cleared her throat. Listen, it's great, but I think we're all forgetting. Our primary task is to stop those gnomes. No one feels more strongly about this than me, said Lloyd. But we can't do anything until we're more powerful. We need to learn. David made a gurgling sound. They all turned to him. Aghast, he quickly struggled to blurt something out. Yeah, yeah, I... That's good. I, I agree with Lloyd. Lloyd made no reaction. We need to rescue those crossroads people, said Asha. It is a task that weighs over my head, admitted Lloyd. Our ability to open up and cross to different worlds using narrative scenes is the key, said Michael. We've tried, said Lloyd. We're too inexperienced, said Jill. We can't. We need... Maybe when David is stronger, said Michael. They all looked at David and then quickly looked away. David fidgeted, knowing he was the obstacle. Lloyd, he shouted out, a little too loud. Everyone looked at him, including Lloyd, for the first time in a long time. Uh, Lloyd, he said again stronger. I'll do it. I will help you rescue those people. Uh, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll get good. I'll work. I'll be better. I promise. Come hell or high water, I will do whatever it takes to help you. I won't let you down, I swear. He said this, looking Lloyd directly in the eyes. Now it was Lloyd's turn to be embarrassed and fidget uncomfortably. Lloyd stammered a bit and finally managed to get out. Thank you. I, I, I do appreciate that. Jill facepalmed casually, and Asha thought through possible plot ideas where she could get two characters to inadvertently kiss. In the end, they all agreed that attempting real performances, even if it was to nobody, put a certain pressure on them that might help them excel. They all had visions of people's lives and stories, but they couldn't always zero in on them reliably. It just sort of happened. Thus, they decided the best thing to do was to choose a story they had already seen and act it out, trying as best they could to encapsulate it. The rehearsals were long and everyone grew tired. Out of boredom one time, David did a little practical joke as Raven the narrator to one of the characters. He quickly apologized, but Jill told him to keep it in. It was legitimately funny. They had very little humor in their plays, and besides, David's breaking the rules was such a welcome change and loosening up that she felt it best to encourage it. They had declared a certain night to be Friday, and when the time came, they put on their show. Surprisingly, there were a few beings in the seats, not many, but a few. The boy came. He sat off stage smiling. He motioned to the seats and smiled a smile of satisfaction. David came on stage and introduced the show. He was well-practiced, so he didn't flub his lines. He was a bit stiff, although the more he spoke, the more he loosened. What was most interesting is that at a certain point early in the show, he did the practical joke. From the seats came laughter. 
It was the first reaction they had gotten, and David especially was really taken by it. He smiled and it clearly encouraged him. The next time he spoke, his performance had what can only be described as more zest, like a spark had ignited. David had had moments where you could see something shining through, when he really relaxed into his role as Raven. But now there was something more, like a small fire had been lit. The show itself changed. The entire cast felt it. By halfway through, the scenes actually manifested as reality, and the gang started to lose themselves in the performance. The performance was a success. David was the key to the gang locking into different places and times. Once there, the gang could experiment with changing and creating realities. Becoming characters that fit the narratives they visited was the key, and the adventures they could have were astonishing. But it was easy to spiral out of control, to lose themselves and suddenly go careening across random strands chaotically. It happened to all of them, although Asha had the most trouble dealing with it. No one could pinpoint the exact moment she developed a little stutter, but eventually it was noticeable. If this careening happened, the trick was to lock into a single story. Each of them learned to narrate individually, and this individual narration kept them grounded. Even Asha would lose her stutter when she narrated. Narration would turn out to be the key to long-term survival. It locked them down, grounded them, although the negative effects was to feel all the emotions of the story so powerfully, it was hard to shake it off. But the more David progressed, the more he as narrator was able to ground them all. He kept them from flying off and then having to spend days or weeks finding a way back to the level two tunnels and walking the long way back. A key moment in his development came when the group was teetering on the edge of a story. They were all playing their parts, but had accidentally jumped narratives. They ended up jumping several times, and were all trying to stay anchored to the narrative they were in, sensing that the next jump would send them all flying off in different directions. They would then all be isolated across many random narratives, and one by one have to make their way back. This had happened before, several times. They were sweating. Their performances were clearly on the edge, like an actor who can barely remember the script. Lloyd was the one to lose it. He gave an out-of-character performance the narrative didn't like, and he started to go flying into another existence. David suddenly shouted lines of narration with an absolute command, an artistry even, and for a moment, all the gang saw was Raven, not David. The narrative swirled around him and then landed with his grabbing Lloyd. He kept Lloyd from flying off, pulled Lloyd to him, ended his speech, held him safe. There was a pause, their bodies close, and then David, or Raven, it was hard to tell, softly said to him, I will not let anything happen to you, ever. I am so into you, it hurts. Lloyd looked shocked. He knew he should probably kiss David, but he was so flabbergasted and awkward that he didn't. Still, something changed then. The chasm between them was gone, and they were back to awkward, bumbling fools. The gang carefully steered the story to a finish as soon as possible, 
and arrived safely back in the playhouse rehearsal room. They took some days off afterwards. Michael went to David that evening to invite him for some scotch, but he and Lloyd were wrapped in a deep conversation about everything and nothing. Michael smiled and went to go hang with Jill and Asha. I think we're ready, Lloyd said one day. I think we need to start seriously trying to rescue those idiots at the crossroads. The idea of being able to slap their faces in person is just delightfully enticing. Are we really ready? asked Asha. I'm all for trying. I just don't want anyone to get hurt. We could spin off into some far-off realm and who knows? Michael interjected. We've all been hearing the chatter from these beings who come into our performances. The gnomes are running havoc across the multiverse. If there is fate, I believe it is ours to stop these gnomes. Maybe it's why all of us became transhuman and met each other as conveniently as we did. Wow, said Jill. You're normally allergic to spiritual philosophies. Who are you and what have you done with... Yeah, 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 grumbled Michael. We are getting pretty good. We don't even have to walk back when we go spiraling out of a narrative anymore. Most of us can usually just narrative hop without having to go to level two. And David, David's pretty reliable in his narrator powers these days. I'm not saying we can just do it. I'm saying we need to start really practicing. It needs to be our main focus. Jill nodded. I agree. Asha looked at David. I know we put a lot of pressure and expectation on you from the moment you got here, and you're still recovering from your breakdown and flowering, and now here you are with more pressure always on you. I'm worried for you, David. I'm happier than I've ever been, said David. I can do this. I promised Lloyd. I promised you all, and and I, I like this. I like what we are and who I've become. Sure, I'm still a little unsure sometimes, and I mean, I I seem fragile, and I guess I... But Raven's not. He's not scared. He's this part of me that's so full of power and confidence and doesn't care about all the things that make me weak. And, And that part of me is waking up more and more every day. And I just lean into that. It doesn't matter if David can't do it. Raven can. Asha frowned. She didn't dare say anything aloud in front of David, but his talking about himself as two different people bothered her, especially how he seemed to always worship his raven persona. But he was more confident, and his abilities were starting to really flourish, and Michael was right. While they spent all this time here playing, how much time had it been? She had no idea. None of them did. They had lost all sense of time. It was like they were on a drug sometimes. But while they played about, there were terrible things happening back in the real world. Suffering. And she agreed with Michael. It was their task to stop it. She secretly believed just as Michael did. There was some kind of fate at work. Okay, she said. I agree. From here on out, we work on one thing and one thing only. Rescuing the Crossroads people. David put his hand out. The gang looked at him. 
Michael smiled as he got it. Lloyd smiled, and though he almost retched at how cheesy it was, in order to not leave poor David hanging, he reached out and put his hand on top of David's. Oh my God, we're not seriously doing this, said Jill. Michael reached out his arm and put his hand on top of Lloyd and David's. Fuck yeah, he said. Rescue assholes to the rescue. Asha just looked at them with no intention of lifting her hand. She looked at Jill. Jill shrugged and then gave her a come on nod. Jill and Asha joined their hands to the pile. Finally, today, perhaps, perhaps the first music I don't abjectly hate or loathe. Loathe less. Loathe less. Voices drone like locusts buzz Voices selling endless plugs Bathed in flickering static on TV Outside voices rant and bray Barking alcoholic rage All it seems is aspects of extreme Voices drowning silent thought Offer plastic bones to hungry dogs I flick a cigarette into the breeze Kiss me in the morning wind We'll drink wine while dawn breaks in All it seems is aspects of extremes Warehouse 
winter days in a trance August snaps its fingers And the lights in the night air dance It's aurora borealis And it whispers leave your womb You can live or you can fly It's all up to you She says summer nights in a doorway Winter winding the days You can sit in hypnosis But there's no reason I have to stay And she turned towards the skyline Standing still in silent pause Watched Aurora Borealis dance Spread her arms once and was gone The wind blew cutting colder the night clung like dusty lead I watched Aurora dancing and then stepped up to the edge and stretched my arms out open as the colors glazed and moved oh it's all up it's all up it's all up to you Woke one rainy day, looked out the window into haze And lit another cigarette up As I watched the rain, I thought in helpless days My life is measured out in coffee cups Should I watch the TV squeal or maybe close another deal Or should I sit and smoke away the day Watching rainfall from my seat, I feel I'm poised at Warner's Peak And I'm watching my days wash away Ashes will rain, ashes will rain as you go Ashes will rain, ashes will rain as you go What will be left, what will be left as you go What will be left when you go? A cigarette in winter snow. (laughs) 
So I grabbed a coat in haste and stepped out in the rain and stood beneath a gray lamppost. And falling round the haze were ripped flyers in the rain that said the night blooms like a neon rose. Ashes will rain, ashes will rain when you go. Plastic bones to hungry dogs. I flick a cigarette into the breeze. Kiss me in the morning wind. We'll drink wine while dawn breaks in. All it seems is aspects of extremes. 